Blues for the YouTube channel. My name is Neil Shortland and I'm a psychologist who studies least worst decisions. Least worst decisions are those decisions around us where every option has the potential to be bad and we just don't know. And as a psychologist, we're interested in how do people commit to those kind of choices. We're interested in that from the perspective of a soldier, a police officer, a government official and the everyday person. How do we make decisions in uncertainty? Now this YouTube channel is part of a National Science Foundation project that we're running where we're basically exploring how people make these kind of decisions. But what we really wanted to do was to try and communicate some of our knowledge and our findings in reference to the ongoing world around us. Now right now we're all thinking about, looking at and focusing on COVID-19. And with the first episode of our channel, what we wanted to do was focus on the decisions around COVID-19 and specifically this decision of releasing restrictions or keeping the social distancing measures. Now in this first episode, I'm lucky to have Lawrence Allison with me. Lawrence Allison has been studying decision-making for 30 years. He's my PhD supervisor. He's kind of a mentor to me and he's a good friend. And we're gonna spend the next 30 or so minutes posing you the question, seeing how you would make the decision. And then what we're gonna do is talk our way through it and think about it from a psychological standpoint, the factors that make it difficult, what these choices boil down to, and what maybe an expert decision-maker would, would be doing in this situation. So welcome to the channel. Thank you for the support and we hope you enjoy our first video. Okay, so Professor, thank you very much for being here. So we've just outlined the, uh, some of the context around this decision to release restrictions versus um, keeping kind of social distance measures and, and the complexities around that. So I think a, a useful way to, to go through this, I think from the start is to look and talk about why this decision and situation is so challenging. So from all of your work the last 10, 20, 30 years with critical incidents, with complex decisions, what is it about them and this one specifically that makes it such a, a hard situation to navigate? Okay, well, thanks for having me, Neil. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a classic critical incident. The psychology of it is, is, is fascinating. And of course, the consequences are disturbing for us all. You know, at a global level, people are considering these problems across Europe, the US, uh, and, and across all the continents. What makes it difficult? Well, if you go back to Judith Rosano's work, um, uh, all the similar sort of problems prevail. Dynamic and fast-moving situations, uh, uncertain outcomes, high stakes, highly accountogenic decisions, and by that I mean that, that whatever you do is going to be scrutinised in detail, whatever you do is going to be seen as potentially wrong, mm -hmm. uh, there's limited information, it's changing all the time, sometimes it's contradictory, and um, the consequences are going to be with us for a very long time. There's a number of um, individuals that are, have to be involved in the uh, decision making, and it's impossible to please everyone, and um, Often, if you commit to a decision, it might not be reversible. So if you have a decision that you commit to and you can't demonstrate that the one that you didn't take would have been worse, mm -hmm. that also makes it problematic. In the context of this specific one, um, it's un, you know we've heard this word thrown around a great deal, unprecedented, but there's literally no one on the planet that has dealt with a pandemic of this size. So the pressure is extreme, um, can be a very emotional decision to make, and um, as I say, there's, there's limited information. The consequences that you take now are gonna have long ranging effects.
But if we were to try and guide or help with this decision, and so, so us as psychologists often kind of get, get drafted in to try and help decision makers or advise decision makers or at least understand decisions. I think one of the most useful activities is to actually map out what this decision looks like. And I know you and I often do decision trees almost to help understand what the decisions are and what, the, what those gradients look like. So if you were looking at the, the reopen versus stay closed decision, how do you break it down? to kind of work out what the first decision is, followed by the next, followed by the next. Okay, so, I mean, I think we've got to visualize for the viewers here to, to simplify this decision. Um, and in, in a sense, the, the decision is stay as is, stay in lockdown, or do something different. And in the doing something different, that could be a very slow and gradual release, a kind of suck it and see release. Uh, or a more rapid release. And I think, you know, government is likely to move towards a, a slower release. But of course, the safest option is to stay as is. And, you know, if you look at Chris Anderson's paper on um, the psychology of doing nothing, that often is an attractive option because you're never making something worse or not obviously worse. Yeah. So if we look at this as a decision tree, as we can see on the chart there, you've basically got four outcomes. You've got the good and bad outcome of staying as you are. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you've got the good, good and bad outcome of um, considering a release in lockdown. So if we just go through each of those uh, with the viewer, you'd have to fair, first of all consider, well, what's the best thing of, of staying in lockdown? Well, obviously the best thing of staying in lockdown is you're flattening the curve, you're, re you're reducing the infection rate, and therefore you're not exceeding the ICU beds, you're not, you're not uh, exceeding the capacity of the NHS, mm. and you're basically keeping people safe. The negative uh, prospects of continuing with lockdown are broadly at first economic, but in the longer term, that economic situation is going to massively influence and, you know, co-vary with poverty and all the other issues that, that come with people losing their jobs uh, and, and now sitting below the poverty line and being a couple of paychecks away from being unemployed. Yeah. And that might have much longer ranging consequences that are, less obviously to less easy to identify and i know neil you've talked about this point before that if you can gather data on a on a difficult operating picture you should so the other difficult thing about that um bad outcome of staying as is it's going to take you longer to to figure out what the the data is that will tell you how bad that's going to get yeah until a point at which it might be irreversible so that's the kind of stay yeah. as we are element to, just to jump in, the, the stay as you are element, I think almost invites so many natural human decision making processes, because while there is a, a benefit to waiting and seeing and, and, and gathering the data, you also yeah. can quite easily hit a kind of a curve of diminishing returns. But then the, the natural human likelihood is to maintain the status quo, because, you know, the uh, an action that then causes a negative reaction is always perceived worse than an absence of action that kind of leads right. to a, a steady deterioration of, you know, current bad outcomes and, and bad consequences. Yeah. And so so it's always, it's very hard to break an action you currently established. And I mean, we, we know that from just the, the general study of, of human psychology is, you know, we have that status quo bias. And now I think it's good. That's why it's so interesting. Now we're, we're, around i think people are looking at it we're around that that peak of the diminishing returns and how do we know if we're maintaining the status quo too long or 
if maintaining the status quo allows us to get the information that then helps us make the best and most informed decision. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, in the Chris Anderson paper, again, you know, he talks about choice deferral. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks of, uh, about a mission bias and he talks about the status quo. And there's a tendency once you've alighted on a particular pathway to stay the same, you know, and it, and it exactly the same way that there were challenges about when to put the lockdown on. Mm. They're going to be challenges about when and if to release it. Yeah. So if we move to the other pathway now, we look, we look at the, the the best and worst case scenarios of of releasing the lockdown. So we've decided now to maybe consider uh, not going down the pathway of staying the same, but we're actually going to do something different. Yeah. Then the problem becomes, well, the good thing about that is we're freeing up the economy. We're getting people back to work. Uh, we might be diminishing uh, problems such as domestic violence, child abuse, suicide, lack of self-admission to an accident and emergency, uh, making sure that that cancer patients are getting the care they need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the benefits that come with that slow release versus the risk that we incur by, you know, increasing the infection rate, overwhelming the hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got a a good and a bad outcome there. So the objective really is to think about what is the least bad and what is the worst. And the one that you really want to avoid is the worst outcome. Now, on the face of it, what looks like the worst outcome of all is um, going down the route of uh, of releasing lockdown and risking putting that R figure that's been bandied around so much over one and that's then having this exponential second wave because it's very salient and it's very it would be very easy to identify that the problem with it is that it might take us three weeks to establish that 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 lockdown effect that you've or releasing lockdown has has incurred that disastrous outcome however i would argue that thinking about it a bit more deeply that if we are satisfied that we are under that curve yeah then actually the worst possible outcome is the longer term consequences of um consistent economic damage that we might not realize until much further down the line and a big issue for government at the moment in the uk is um we're being constantly compared to other european countries that have had less people die Mm. and that may well come to fruition that, that the uk has fared less well but it's dependent on so many things yeah um and actually that longitudinal consideration of basically accepting you know um a wound to the country now yeah in order that it can be more satisfactorily repaired in the long run because if you persistently wound an economy yeah you you are gonna you're gonna pay for it later in lots of other ways that might not be evident in the now but may be completely irreversible in the long run and it seems to me that given all the indications are and admittedly incomplete that the infection rate is below one then it is time to consider as soon as actually and if, in fact possibly even before now as soon as you are content that 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 something has happened and you have achieved the effect you need to consider trying something that will give you some data or feedback on how bad it is to do something different you might need to to clamp down again but my real concern is that in not in you know not moving out of that status quo position of oh thank god we're safe yeah yeah that you could be consistently inflicting more and more damage on the economy which will have an attendant negative impact on mortality 
mental health and everything else we've talked yeah. about. One of the ways that I know we look at decisions sometimes and, and, and talk about why they often create such difficulty is that there's competing values. Now, in a lot of the decisions we study, I think those values are normally quite kind of orthogonal, you know, that kind of, you know, save life, prevent harm. And, and people struggle when they're, when they're pulled in different directions. What's, I think, interesting about this, and I think is why it is challenging, is that both outcomes almost involve the same values in different ways, but to the same level. Because when we talk about maintaining economic restrictions, we are talking about obviously a, a, an economic value, but there's also human harm that come that is tethered with the economy. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about maintaining the lockdown, you know, that's driven by the value of saving lives, but that's also still coupled in with it kind of an economic issue. So I actually think it's a very complicated decision because the values aren't as clear cut as I, as I think they, they have been or can be in some of these critical decisions that we study. Well, it's certainly not an economic versus human suffering issue. Um, no. You know, both of them are, as you say, tethered one to the other. But, but perhaps we should now kind of consider what we know about how experts make difficult decisions and how they will be prepared to tolerate least worst outcomes because you could approach this from kind of what we call and i know you've you've published recently in this area this this idea of maximizing the best outcome yeah. or minimizing the least worst one yeah. and i really do think you know there are so many decisions right from you know a person that's making a decision in icu right right the way through to the prime minister that uh, we're essentially in the zone of minimizing the, the 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 worst outcome and i really yeah. do think the position that that we find ourselves in but what we do know about what experts do and i, I you know i think we'll have a visual for the, the viewer here broadly what experts do when they're considering problems as opposed to novices is they do the following things first of all an expert will develop two or three but certainly not a ton of mm -hmm. um anticipated future versions of of what will happen if they take a particular pathway yeah. novices tend to select only one and get very entrained and trammeled into that one specific view or yeah. they go completely crazy and hypothesize about 20 or 30 different versions which are impossible to cognitively hold in their mind yeah. so experts will develop two or three plausible um well articulated outcomes the mm -hmm. second thing that they will do they will think about time novices don't ask the question do I need to decide now? Experts will. Yeah. An expert will not make the error of acting too quickly when in fact they could have gathered more information on the one yeah. hand. But the second thing that they will do is they will not act too slowly if they're realizing that the, the, the window is collapsing. Yeah. What's interesting about the lockdown situation at the moment is thinking carefully about when to act to, to impose the lockdown. And in fact, even if, indeed whether to impose it at all. I mean, there's yeah. some interesting research that's coming out of Sweden where there was a less draconian lockdown and that seems to have fared well because other measures were put in place. Nonetheless, um, moving away from that position it, it is a window of time and thinking about time is important. Novices don't think about time. They yeah. either act too soon or too, too quickly. That Goldilocks point of this is the time to act. I don't need any more information. I've got sufficient yeah. information is, is key. Well, th that, that always reminds me of my... Uh... I suppose for any American listeners, uh, my quarterback analogy of an expert decision maker, you don't want a quarterback who 
as soon as he gets the ball, immediately wants to throw it because sometimes you need to let the play develop for the best route to make itself available. But right. you don't want a quarterback who constantly holds onto the ball, waiting for the play to develop and for the perfect pass to be open because then they're going to get tackled and it's going, to, it's going to result in a loss. And it's that Goldilocks of not too soon, not too late that we kind of find the expert decision maker is, is, is better able to kind of circle around. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so story development, plausible number of alternative options, keep your eye on the ball of all of those. Um, ask yourself the question, do I need to act now? Mm -hmm. Consider the consequences of not acting now versus the, the benefits of getting more data. And then experts will go through a process of correcting or critiquing or adapting. They will look for missing information. Mm -hmm. They will look to resolve conflicting information and they may look for more information. Yeah. They'll keep iterating that loop until they, they are able to work out the benefits of asking for more versus the diminishing returns for asking for more and getting to a point where actually more is not helping. Yeah. And they'll basically go through that cycle. So the, the, the lockdown issue is, you know, to my mind, I think it would be useful for decision makers to start framing the problem in these kind of organized ways. Yeah. What information have we got? Is it worth asking for more information? What are the risks of acting versus not acting? And how long have we got? Yeah. What plausible information could we look at? Say, for example, you know, we're looking to our neighbours in Europe at the moment who are doing slow release lockdowns and there may be some utility in seeing how they get on. Yeah. What does it look like if we let primary schools out? Yeah. How long do we need to wait? We might need to wait three weeks for the infection rate to rise to see if that has an effect. But there's going to be a point of diminishing returns where that wait is not worth the wait. Yeah. Depending attendant negative consequences because again in this situation like like most critical incidents there's there's always that that hope for more information and then the hope that the there is that bit of information that's going to tell you the right answer and that's why i mean i know it's something that we we, we talked about very recently but that that that's where the the want to maximize can become so inviting mm. because you can always convince yourself that if you wait a little bit longer if you look at another country or the next country or the next country, mm. you can learn from them and that will tell you your answer. But sometimes in, in waiting for that, you yeah. cause yourself a degree of harm. Now, to me, I, I know it's not associated with the expert decision makers per se. It's almost more of a philosophical construct. But the reverse, the reverse paradox, I think, is, is so important here, which is basically that the quest for the positive will be a negative but the acceptance of the negative is in fact the positive. And I think that a lot of that has to come in with this, that we have to accept negativity, negative outcomes. And in that acceptance, we will find a positive way forward. Yeah. Whereas I think what a lot of, what, what can happen is that the quest for positivity and the quest for good can often eventually be harmful because when you're looking at all of the options and each one carries harm, I think it's much harder to kind of commit to one of those. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoyed having it with Lawrence. And I think one of the most interesting things is thinking about just what this choice boils down to and how those competing values are playing against each other. Because just because we outline what the values are, that doesn't make the decision for us. In fact, what it really shows us is why some people may favour staying locked down versus why may favour opening up the economy again. Neither decision is better than the other, or at least we don't know that now, but they're just driven sometimes by underlying value systems. 
So I hope you enjoyed the video. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a few references down below, some of the work that we cited, a couple papers we've put out recently. But really, I just want you to reflect. Think yourself about the problem. How would you solve it? What decisions would you make? What are the outcomes and the challenges? And try toying with this COVID problem. Spend 10, 15, 20 minutes. See if you enjoy it. But really, we just hope you learn a little bit about psychology and maybe have a new lens to analyze and assess some of the decisions that are going on around us. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed our first video. I hope it's the first of many.